Hello everyone, this is Jerry Lee, and I'm so happy to have you in attendance. And tonight, an exciting subject, the seventh seal. So we're going to get into that immediately. Uh, I'm here speaking um, in place of the manifester, and uh, later after our teaching we'll have a uh, time for a Gentile. <coughs> So um, just hang in there with me. I'll be turning to the Bible and doing a lot of the teaching directly out of the Bible. I use the King James. Um, so here we go, uh, starting in chapter 8 of the book of Revelations. Uh, the Bible uh, gives us the scripture starting with the conjunction and, and when he had opened the seventh seal. There was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. That's a very interesting verse to start with. Um, it would give you the idea that this heaven, wherever that heaven is, whichever heaven it is, that uh, it is normally a place of much activity. And that silence is a rare thing, a rare thing to happen. And the seal is opened, and upon the opening of that seventh seal, almost like in recognition <clears throat> of its importance, of the incredible awesomeness of its overall revelation, there is silence for half an hour, 30 minutes. And there's quite a little bit that I can say about this and will say about this. But what I want to do is I want to go back a ways in the Bible. In fact, I want to go uh, to the first chapter of Revelations and read just a couple of things because I think that the only way a person can understand the book of Revelation is to look at it by the Spirit because the book of Revelation was given in the Spirit. Now, even in the sense of looking at it by the Spirit, <clears throat> there are many things that a person has to come into the understanding of. <clears throat> so, um, we're going to look at that uh, Let's start with chapter 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass, and he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. Now, whatever the meaning of this first verse that opens Revelation, it was so legal, it was so sensational, it was so important as to the relevance of what its intent was, that an angel was sent to signify that message to John, who was the person, the recipient of this revelation called the book of Revelation. So, 
here we go then. We are looking at this and we're thinking about, okay, the revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave unto him. This is a revelation about Jesus Christ. So we have to understand that the preeminent theme throughout this book of Revelation, no matter what it sounds like or doesn't sound like, that according to the title, which has been signified by an angel, is about the revelation of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> now we know the Bible says if all the things were written that should be written, then not even the world could contain them. And those things also included subjects relative to Jesus Christ. Okay, now there, let's look at this word here. Uh, which God gave unto him to show or shew unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto um, his servant John. <coughs> I hope you bear with me a little bit tonight. Uh, I'm going to have a little bit of uh, throat clearing I'll have to do, I guess. I'm uh, <coughs> just working my way. Uh, over getting over a middle ear infection. <clears throat> so, here we go again. The word shortly must shortly come to pass. Now, depending on which version of the Bible that you're reading, some of them change that word to soon. Uh, but still, the main idea of the expectancy of a very uh, short period of time <clears throat> seems to be um, pretty much um, insistent as how it is written uh, in the context of that particular verse. Now we have to look at that and say, well, you know, did they get it right? Because um, going back into uh, church history and from the, uh, the, the top scholars going way back anciently, there's pretty much of a unanimous agreement that this book was um, presented and published uh, in the sense of the and style of the way they did it back then uh, in uh, 96 A.D. Uh, A.D. after death, 96 A.D. So for all the shortly and all of that business, um, it's interesting <clears throat> that this revelation. Um, was not forthcoming to the general public. It, it may have been available to select other people prior to them, but that's that's what the record seems to to uh, validate. That uh, uh, A.D. Uh, 96, and remember, it was in A.D. 70 that the temple was destroyed by the Romans. <clears throat> okay, so here we go again. Um, now, as we, as we look at this and get the whole mix of it in our mind, uh, we want to say, okay, is that correct then? Is that word shortly correct? You know, uh, and what does shortly mean? Um, it, it obviously doesn't mean the term shortly in the sense uh, that we use the vernacular and the meaning of that in our day and our time. Uh, if we said, I'll be there shortly, and we 
even years later hadn't showed up, we wouldn't consider that shortly. But the fact of the matter is, if you go back to the Greek words, <clears throat> um, shortly is not necessarily by any means uh, at the top of the, of, of the list for selection. And the better word, uh, because this is one of those cases in which they use two different references uh, to uh, choose a word um, to put in the text here. But a better word uh, is watch. So it really should read like this. The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave unto him to show his servants things they must watch come to pass. Now, that just to me makes a lot of sense. And there are scriptures that certainly go along with that whole thing about watching. And um, so what the importance is and what the angel of God is verifying, these are things that you must be aware of. These are things you must take mental and spiritual note of. You must watch uh, these various occurrences uh, as guidelines uh, to, to uh, the various um, circuit of things that are going to happen. And uh, so that's, that's where we're going to put that. Now let's go to verse 2. Who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things that are written therein, for the time is at hand. Now, <clears throat> the time is at hand is not a confirmation of must shortly come to pass, because there is so much to understand here that this is the time right now. It's available to us. It's in our hand right now to have this information so that we can watch and see and know these things. Watch and pray, therefore, Jesus said, for you know not when. And so that is very Bible, and that all ties in in a beautiful way. Let's go on, verse 4. John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is, which was, and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. And, of course, I could stop right there and teach for a week or two just on the seven spirits. And you know that manifestly in our teachings, we show that the seven stars in the book of Revelation represent seven different universes that have come and gone. And that right now we are in the eighth universe. And that these seven spirits represent um, seven plural spirits that represent the overcomers from each of those seven universes. So that every spirit of the seven is a representing plurally all of the overcomers from that universe. And then there and there are seven of those which are before the throne. And Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness and the word witness is brought in here and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth. Now, the word prince is connected to the word uh, principality. And so a principality can be a prince. 
and and that is very very important in the whole hierarchy of of angels and and of of the powers uh, that have uh, to to do with, with uh, uh, you know the universe and and with everything that is going on in the governorship of uh, running uh, the the universe and and uh, and having a say uh, in in the kingdoms. Okay, let's skip on down to the uh, seventh uh, seventh uh, uh, well the sixth verse and has made us kings and priests unto God. Now, <clears throat> when I, I used to see that, I said, whoa, it seems so biased. Uh, there's no queens mentioned, kings and queens, but with kings and priests. And then the Lord showed me that, in fact, indeed, that is exactly what it is saying, kings and, and, and priests, because the priests belong to the order of the church, and the church is always denoted as the woman. So you have the woman, which is the queen. So you have, and hath made us kings and queens unto God and his Father, because the priest rep is, is a, a representative of the church, and therefore the church is, is the woman, and the woman then is the queen. So we do have, has made us kings and queens unto God the Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Verse 7. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and ever I shall see him. And if that doesn't sound like almost a, a conflict, unless you understand what it's talking about. For someone to say, um, Let's put it this way, and you'd understand it better. He cometh with fog, or he cometh in the fog, and every eye shall see him. Now, that would certainly seem like a conflict. Uh, why is he coming in the fog? Because, you know, clouds are very foggy. Why is he coming? In fact, when a cloud is really low on earth, we call it fog. And so... Uh, that obviously is not what it means. And when it talks about clouds, uh, it, it, if you we had the time to give all the references of all the uses of the word cloud, uh, we would see that these are, are, are um, uh, space vehicles uh, that are, are used by the angels. The angels drive these, these uh, space vehicles, and, uh, and they're sometimes called clouds, uh, because uh, back in that day, uh, when the references were being given, they didn't know what else to call them. And they shall, and and they also, which pierced him, and all the kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, Amen. Now, <clears throat> this is a very interesting um, statement. This is already, as this is being written, according to the records, 96 A.D., 96 after death. And he's coming to the clouds that every eye will see him, and also those that have pierced him. So, these people that have pierced him, 
by that time most likely would not have would not be alive at the time that this is written. It's possible, but very not probable, considering that during that time people didn't have very long lifespans. <coughs> so if these people that pierced him, and that would be the soldier who put the, the spear in his side, uh, the soldiers that nailed him to the cross, and the persons that put the piercing uh, thorns on his head, uh, they all were involved in piercing. And they're going to somehow uh, see the coming and going to recognize what they had done and going to be extremely in anguish over it. So this would seem to mean, if you're interpreting it, interpreting it that way, that, that when the person is dead and in the spirit, that that person can remember all the things that he has done or hasn't done. And it's very, very clear to him, distinct, and he doesn't forget it. But, of course, that is not what this is talking about, even though it might seem to be. Now, interestingly, the, um, the Companion Bible, and I totally agree with it, says that the use in the seventh verse here of, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, that the word eye there is a senataki. And that means that that is a word that, only, that, that actually incorporates uh, other unsaid meanings and other unsaid information. And <clears throat> that can really be verified by, and don't lose your place in Revelation, but by going uh, back to the book of, um, of Zechariah, and um, uh, in, in the, uh, the book of Zechariah, <clears throat> it has a very, very interesting statement in chapter 12 and verse 10. <clears throat> and I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him, as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him, as one that is in bitterness <coughs> for his firstborn. Now to really understand what that is saying, you have to read a whole lot of what is said prior to that. <coughs> Sorry. And, um, and it has so much that I can't read at all. But basically, if we read just a little bit, um, like in verse 8, In that day shall the Lord defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and he that is feeble among them at that day shall be as David, and the house of David shall be as God, as the angel of the Lord before them. <clears throat> and it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem, and I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication, they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. What this is really about is a message of revelation 
that the people who are the Jewish people, and we're not just talking genetically, but the Jewish people, that um, they are going to become cognizant, they're going to become aware that Jesus is really the Messiah. And as they become aware that Jesus is the Messiah, uh, they are suddenly going to be um, made to understand that it's not just that little handful of people that were involved under orders of whom Jesus prayed for and said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He's not now holding them hostage all these hundreds of years later and and going to really, uh, you know, put it to them for what they did. No, what it's saying is that whole people as a group who have denied the Lord, that they are all a part of those negative things that were done against Christ, but that there's going to come a, <clears throat> a knowledge, a knowledge that's going to suddenly come rushing to the minds of the people, and they're going to recognize and realize <clears throat> that um, what they have done uh, against uh, Christ, against Jesus, was a terrible, terrible mistake. And so this thing about every eye, it, you know, it's not the eye that is the person. The eye belongs to the person that the subject refers to. And that's part of the why it's, uh, you know, uh, sendaki, senekdaki. But that's only a part of the part of why it is. It's because there is so much more information that belongs uh, to this whole revelation. <clears throat> okay. Now, we're going to skip to the fifth chapter of Revelations. We're starting here because we're, we're, our message is about the seventh seal. So, to really appreciate the seventh seal, we sort of need to go through the rest of the seals that precede it. One, two, three, four, five, six. And I saw on the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the back side and sealed with seven seals. Now, in the manifest revelation, we uh, do a teaching from the book of Proverbs. And um, it's, uh, it's, it's Proverbs um, 21, uh, 22 rather. And um, I want to, you to turn there if you would. Because I want to read a very, very interesting revelation to you that have not heard it. And it has to do with, uh, you know, with, with, with a very, very important message <coughs> that uh, uh, no one should miss out on knowing. So, um, if you would turn with me to Proverbs 22, verse 17. <clears throat> Proverbs 22, verse 17. Okay, and we're uh, going to read um, right now, and here is what it says. Bow down thine ear, and hear the words of the wise, and apply thy heart unto my knowledge. <clears throat> now the, ad the admonition here, the, the, the encouragement here, is to humble your ear 
regardless of what you know or you think you know, bow down your ear and hear the words of the wise. <clears throat> apply, your, apply your heart to knowledge. For it is a pleasant thing if you keep if thou keep them within thee, they shall withal be fitted in thy lips. This this knowledge of God, this word of wisdom, has to be applied to and has to be fitted in your character, in your in your style of thinking, so that when you begin to come into this knowledge, you can put it into into words that that you understand and and that still uh, cover the major meaning of what the message is. <clears throat> and then it goes down. And it says that they, that thy trust may be in the Lord. I have made known to thee this day, even to thee. Have not I written to thee excellent things in counsels and knowledge? Now, this word that they used in the King James, excellent. <laughs> How they came up with that word, it's not part of the Hebrew. It's not part of the original writ. And what it actually said, and <clears throat> you can look it up yourself and, and, and verify it. It actually was talking about uh, not the word excellent, but threefold, T-H-R-E-E-F-O-L-D, threefold. And you can look that up in um, uh, the Strong's Hebrew Concordance, uh, 7991 and 7969. 7991 and 7969. And, um, and what it really should say then is I am describing the threefold sayings of the word and how to therefore determine additional knowledge. And so this is what all these verses were exonerating. This is what all these verses were talking about. It was talking about the the fitting of the word. And it's, it's saying that there's a threefold level. Now when the Bible talks about the deep things of God, you can't have anything deep unless there's something up above it. That's what determines how the deepness is how much there is up above it. And so there are different levels. There's the, there's the surface, and there's in between, and then there's the deepest part. And there's three different levels. And in uh, the, the words of Jesus, he described that as the 30, 60, 100-fold. 30, 60, 100-fold. So you have the 1, 2, 3, 30. 60 to 3, 100-fold. 30, 60, 100-fold. And is the threefold. So, let me, let me read this verse one more time. I am describing the threefold sayings of the word and how to therefore determine additional knowledge. And that's Proverbs 22, verse 20. And that translation comes out in the MIV Bible that we're working on right now, trying to get uh, published. Now, keep that in mind, this thing of the threefold sayings and the 30, 60, 100-fold. And let's go back then to uh, 
to the uh, book of Revelation, chapter 5. And let's, let's, let's read this again. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne <clears throat> a book written within, that's one, and on the back side, that's two, and sealed with seven seals, that's three. There are three levels that have to be opened up, that have to be understood before you can get to this word to understand it, to read it, to know it. First, you've got to be able to get through the seals. Second, you've got to be able to read what's on the back side, the outside. That's two. And three, you've got to be able to read what is written within. So number one, the seals. Number two, what's written without. Number three, what's written within. Three different levels. Coincides with Proverbs 22, 17 through 21, especially the, the, chapter, the verse 20. And we have these three levels. Now, why is that important? <coughs> it is extremely important. Because when you read a verse and you limit it to having only the one viewpoint and you don't understand that the way that the Holy and if you don't understand that the way that the Holy Spirit has written this word and given this word by the unctions of the Holy Ghost so that the people on the on the simplicity level can read it and have one understanding the people that are in sort of a a medium of understanding can can go into the sixtyfold and read it there, and then the people that are really getting into the deepest of the deep can go into the hundredfold. And so there's these three different levels, and these three different levels have subject matter and information uh, that is not saying exactly the same thing. It's not contradictory, but it's it is like 30-fold has a substance and a quantity and a quality. Well, let's think in terms of it as a, a quantity. 60-fold has twice the quantity. And a 100-fold has more than three times the, the quantity. And so as you get into these different folds of understanding, you get into these different quantities of revelation, of information, of vision, of insight, of manifestation. And that's why it's so important that people don't go out and start knocking someone who's in 30-fold insight or 60-fold insight or 100-fold insight. And Paul tried to explain it one time by using the body. And he says, look, there are different members of this body. You have eyes, you have nose, you have ears, you have hands, you have feet. And guess what? They don't look anything alike. So if the ear says to the nose, hey, you don't look like us, you don't function like us, you don't do the same things we do. Get out of my church. Get out of my sight. Well, it would be a loss to the body which you are a part of. 
because these different individual memberships are all a part of the corporate body, and they're all needed. And we need to be able to accept people that are in the 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold ministries without feeling that they're not a part of the body. The common denominator is if people accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. That's the common denominator. If they, if they do that, then back off and allow people to move in these different directions. And understand that with some of these people, as they are moving into these deeper things, they are sort of sliding and gliding into these deeper things. And they don't immediately get into seeing everything in a perfect order, but are more or less looking through a glass darkly and have not yet come into that place that when the darkness is removed, then they'll be into, into perfect prophecy. But they're, they're working toward it. And as they are working toward it, uh, they, they might be a little messy in trying to explain what they really do believe or don't believe. But leave them alone. And that's what Jesus told the disciples when they were trying to correct the, John's disciples and tell them how they should actually be teaching and believing. And Jesus said, leave them alone. And that's, that's the word of God. That's, that's, from the, that's from Jesus Christ. Okay, so now, I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the back side, sealed with seven seals, three levels of revelation. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, even to be able to tell this story, even to be able to bring out this message, even to be able to announce this message. It couldn't be just any angel. It couldn't be any rank. There was a hierarchy that was uh, in need to be deployed, to be used. And it had to be a strong angel and proclaiming it, and not a strong angel who was strong in some senses, but not totally strong in the sense of being able to proclaim with a loud uh, a voice. That means, you know, being able to enunciate this with, with a very positive acclaim. And who asked the question, who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? Because, number one, you cannot read what's on the outside. Number two, you cannot read what's on the inside. Until, number three, you have opened the seals, the seven seals of the book. Not just one seal, not two seals, not three, four, five, or six, or seven, or eight seals. Seven seals. You have to open all seven seals, and, and, and you have to, and, and the word that it uses there, the word that it uses is, the word that it uses is quite neat. Uh, to loose, to loose the seals. And, and I really like that because that's part of the word latolution, uh, you know, lutron, to, to loosen, to set free. So uh, there's that very importance then of, of loosening uh, these, these uh, uh, seven seals. And, and that is what has to be done in order to open the book. And now in verse 3, of chapter 5 of Revelations, it says, And no man in heaven nor in earth. Now, ladies and gentlemen, 
if you will bear with me as we get into some of these different 30, 60, 100 fold levels, and just listen. You know, he, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the what the Lord is saying, what the Holy Spirit is saying to the church. If you've got an ear, listen. And we're not saying you have to believe it. Just listen. Because this is the time to listen. Now, it says, No man in heaven nor in earth. Well, this is talking about a time when there's going to be people that are humans, man, living in heaven. Now someone says, oh, well, that's the people that have died. No, it's not the people that have died. This is not talking about the first domain, the heaven of heavens. Remember, there's many, many heavens. In the book of Genesis, first chapter, it talks about, it talks about heaven. Uh, you know, just it talks about the heaven that you have, uh, you know, as the firmament. And then there are every every planet has, you know, has heavens, and and every planet has a different name. And it's interesting of the Father's house, which we teach is a planet that is in the constellation of the Little Dipper, Ursa Minor, and that it is connected by the Greek uh, word arkos to artura and in uh, and arturas rather and so in that sense the word arturas which also in the arabic language in in a very ancient times actually was interpreted to mean heaven so <clears throat> i think it's talking about humans that live in the Father's house. And it says, And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to even look thereon. <clears throat> what a book! Ladies and gentlemen, what a book! <clears throat> what a book! The strong angel proclaimed it, but no man, either on this earth or in the heaven that it refers to here, obviously being humans, because there's no man in heaven or earth. Now, now, when you're in the heaven of heavens, you will not be in a human body. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of, of heaven. And and so you'll not be in a fleshly body. So it's obviously talking about when Jesus said, I have sheep of another fold. It's talking about another place. And when you read that in the in the Gospel of John, uh, it, it's, it's an exciting uh, thing to read. I'll tell you that. <clears throat> okay. So here we go. Let's just keep uh, talking here because we have a long ways to go to get through this subject. There is sometimes a revelation, an insight, a whole series of information, a manifest, a manifold unfolding 
that is so deep and so profound and so different from what anybody has ever looked at before that it's like needing to break a code to be able to understand the language. And it says here that there was no man on earth or in heaven that was able to open the book. Now, how would they know that? Well, there must have been a time that it was offered. There must have been an opportunity, an opportunity for anyone that could to come forth and to open the book and to be able to, to interpret the book and to be able to, to interpret the meanings. It sort of reminds you back in the days of Daniel when the, when the king was looking for someone to interpret a dream that he had and he couldn't even remember the dream. And there was no one that was able to do it, but finally Daniel was. Now, in this particular case here, and that, that of course, was after they tried. They, 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 he made the request. He sent the word out, and people were given an opportunity to, to interpret the dream and to also tell him what the dream was that he had. But no one could come up with that. But God allowed Dan, Daniel to have that revelation. And in this uh, uh, scenario, uh, there was no man in heaven or earth, neither under the earth, able to open the book. Now this certainly does tell us that there's going to be a day uh, when there's going to be uh, uh, great structures of living that are going to be put uh, b beneath the terra firma. And they're going to go deep in, uh, perhaps under the mountains. And, uh, and uh, there'll be cities under these mountains. And uh, it, it, uh, it's, it's all of a, a great future revelation here that is being pro profounded. <clears throat> and I wept much, this is John, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. So there was contemplation. The angel told this story to John, and John was able to have a, have a, a trial of time to see that there was no one that was going to come forth. There was no one that could be found to open this book. And this was such a sensational thing. And the revelation had been given to John that there was a book. The revelation had been given to John that it came from the right hand of, of, of the one who sat on the throne. And this book that came from the right hand of the one who sat on the throne was being offered to be able to be read if there was anyone that could open the seven seals. And this was proclaimed by a strong angel, proclaiming it with a loud voice. But no one was found that was able to open the book. No one was found that could even look thereon. And so John says he wept much. It didn't just happen in one concentrated little nanosecond. There was contemplation here. There was time here that went, that went by. No one was found that could open the book, neither to, uh, to read it, and neither to look upon it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed 
to open the book and to look and to loose the seven seals thereof. Now there is so much information here, ladies and gentlemen. So much information. First off, an elder announces, don't need to cry because a solution has been found. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, not the offspring of David, ladies and gentlemen, not the offspring, the root, the root of David. Because there is the root and there is the offspring. Now the root goes all the way back to Melchizedek. And you have to understand that. And you have to understand that that the Bible says in Hebrew that Jesus Christ was after the order of Melchizedek. So we see the succession that is is presented there. And we see that the lion is not the lamb. And the lamb is not the, not the lion <coughs> in the sense of the characterization that the, uh, the Christ entity is taking. The lion is a different nature, and it takes that different nature, that lion nature, just like it took a special angel, a strong angel, takes that special strong nature to prevail, to open the book, via opening or loosening the seven seals thereof. <clears throat> wow. What a revelation is in that. How much is already in this few little verses that we have been reading. And I beheld, and lo, <clears throat> in the midst of And in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> okay, let's read that again. In the midst of the throne and in the midst of the four beasts, in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth unto all the earth. Now, the Bible tells us that Christ was slain, was crucified, before the foundations of the world. And we can certainly see something of a very deep nature here. This lamb has seven horns, seven powers, and seven eyes, seven visions, and these are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. So now these seven spirits of God, which represent these seven different universes that preceded this universe, and each of the spirit is a plural spirit representing the overcomers of every of each and every one of those universes, that those people are involved in the creations and the things that God is doing 
in this eighth universe. You don't just overcome and go to heaven and stay there for eternities upon eternities without ever moving your foot. You're out involved. You're out there backing the different kinds of angels, the different hierarchies. When it's the time for the cherubims to create, you're out there backing them. When it's time for the seraphims to create, you're out there backing them. When it's time for the ophanim to create, you're out there backing them. When it's time for the other list, and there's a whole list, but I won't take the time to go through it now. You're out there backing them according to what is the present duty of, of, of the call of the mission. And there's a hierarchy. There, there's an incredible council that exists, which is a council that Jesus Christ belongs to, is part of, and that's why he has in the Lamb the seven horns, which are these seven different powers that represent that unity of those seven spirits of God that are sent throughout all the earth to minister. <clears throat> and he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. Now even though the lion representative, the lion symbol, is the one that opened the seven seals. It's the one that made it possible for the book to even be able to be brought forth to the world. It was not the lion that then went to the person on the throne and took the book out of that person's hand. It was the lamb because it was destined that Jesus Christ was the name given under heaven and that there was no, no other name, no other entity that was called to bring salvation other than Jesus Christ. And when he had taken the book, and that sounds powerful, you go to the person on the throne and you take the book. He didn't grab it like that type of thing, but he put his hand out because he knew that there was a breakthrough and that he was in, connected to that breakthrough because he was connected to, uh, with the Melchizedek. But when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. Now, obviously, at this time that this happened, there's elders, there's beasts, four beasts and four and twenty elders, and uh, and they're big time into playing harps. <laughs> and it might be very interesting if we were to take time to manifest exactly what the harps were, get into the soundtron, get into the understanding of these various kinds of scents, the 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 sweet smelling scent. Uh, odors and the different kind of scents, scent uh, offerings that were prayers. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. 
for thou wast slain, and thou hast redeemed us. Now, get this down. The four beasts and the four and twenty elders, they are singing this song. So don't try to make the four beasts to be something different than they are, or the twenty-four elders to be something different than they are. Because according to the ninth verse, it says, Thou hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred, tongue, and people, and nation. And so it tells who these people are. They are a part of the kindreds, the tongues, the people, the nations. And they are humans that were redeemed. So you need to know that because it's right here. Forensically, it's available to you. And hath made us unto our God kings and priests, or kings and queens, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels around about the throne, and the, and, and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand, and thousands of thousands. And we have shown mathematically and it's in the book the before Genesis Chronicles of the Seven Thunders that we offer on our website that that amounts to a trillion and those trillion angels there all represent the number of the Ophanims and that's all part of this incredible revelation of this book being opened what was it that happened that caused this book to get closed? What was it that happened that caused seven seals to be put on it and for it to be sealed up? What kind of war in heaven was there? What kind of Luciferian power cropped up who, being a, a cherubim, um, who was a covering angel standing in during creation, what kind of thing happened to cause this book to be taken and sealed up, it's almost reminiscent. It's almost reminiscent of the. It's gonna. I've lost it, Star. Almost reminiscent. Here, find it real fast. So I hope you didn't lose it, there. Uh, my computer here it looked like I lost it for a minute, but I'm back. It's almost reminiscent of like the tree of tree of life in the Garden of Eden. Suddenly, bam, it's gone. And, and, and we do scripture showing that that tree was actually transplanted uh, to, the, to the Father's uh, house planet. And uh, someday we'll read you the scriptures on that. Uh, God give us the time and allow us to, to do that. I have done teachings on it. So, this is exciting. Something happened that caused that book to be sealed. And now, there's a process of restoration that has taken place. Restoring something that was lost. And something that was so lost that the people that should have been able to open the seals, that should have been able to, to know what the meaning and, and the code of it was, could not remember. They were now living in the land of forgetfulness. They did not remember who they really were. They did not remember that 
according to the 12th chapter of Revelations, that they were the stars that were, that were cast down to earth and became earth, earthlings. And they couldn't remember, and there wasn't any of these that, that could remember. But there was one who never fell. There was one who never failed. And his name was Jesus Christ. And he remembered, and he could come, and he could open the seals. And he could open the book, and he could read it on the back and on the inside. The 30, the 60, the 100-fold was all available to him. And he was intent on reopening that book so that the revelation could come back to the people of God. And within that book, there's a little book which contains the seven thunders of which the Bible says that when the seven thunders are revealed that the mysteries of God will be finished. They'll be completed. They'll be fulfilled. And that's what we're talking about. That's what we're into on this manifest revelation. Getting the, the, to the world this, this information and this truth so that the world can understand the, the power of this truth and, and, and the totality of what that all means. Because it is exciting and there is no question about it. And it is something that if people will open their minds to and not get trapped in those 30-fold revelations to think that that's all there is. That you go to third grade and you stop. No. It goes on and on and on. Open seal number one. Open seal number two. Open seal number three and four and five and six. And finally, open the seventh seal. And then the holy, holy, holy begins. The opening of the Shekinah glory. The rushing of the mighty winds of God begin to quicken and, and begin to go into the rushings. What a time. What an excitement. What a wonderful explorer is set before us to walk in, to walk through, to be able to be a part of that part which is a part of that which once was, to bring us into the Alpha Omega, into that instant into that instant of, of spiritual regeneration in which we can remember those things that have been forgotten and be renewed and revitalized in the power and in the glory that God has for us. Verse 12 of chapter 5. And saying with a loud voice, when you begin to get into this manifest revelation, as you've come onto these blogs and you're reading these blogs, and you're seeing and reading things that you've never seen or read before, and the seals are being opened, you want to come in this with a determination. You want to come in this with a loud voice and a strong voice. And believe me, while there will be those that will not accept what you have to say, at, at least at the inset, there will be those that will believe. Because there are people out there that upon hearing some of these revelations of the manifest wisdom instantly have a witness that these things are true and real. And they just know it by their gut that they belong to their peace and belong to the kingdom of God. And so it's, there comes a time you want to say with a loud voice, 
Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, such as are in the sea, and all that are in them heard, I say in blessing and honor and glory and power, be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever. Now this four and twenty elders is really in, important because four and twenty is twenty-four. And that divides by twelve and twelve. And you have the lion and you have the lamb. So you have you have the twelve elders that represent the Melchizedek revelation. And you have the twelve elders that represent the Jesus Christ revelation. And though they, the revelations belong under the same cap, they still have different um, uh, pronunciations of acts uh, that they are that they belong to. And and uh, there is a time under the sun and a time above the sun when they will be melted together. Praise the name of God. And then in 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 chapter six, the beginning the beginning of the begim happens. Uh, the word begim means like fabulous. And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, that's the first seal, and I heard as it were the noise of thunder, and one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. Now, here we have tongues and interpretation. John hears a noise. He cannot understand what it means, because to him it's just a noise. It's just a babble. But then someone comes along and, and interprets it and says, Come and see. Everything that might seem to you to be noise, everything that might seem to you to be confused, does not mean that it's noise, does not mean that it's confused, but it's very possible because that you have not been opened yet by a translation or by an interpretation, that you are not understanding what to you is just noise. But as you come into the understanding, and you discover that, no, this isn't just noise. There is a message here. Once I use the code and I open the seal, there is a message. And it's one of the four beasts. These, these are in the higher order of the hierarchy that says, come and see. And I saw and behold a white horse. And he that sat on him had a bow and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. Now let's just look at that second verse there. A white horse? Really? Or is that just a symbol? And is that just a familiar term that applied to the day in which the people that wrote this could understand? I think that's right. I don't think that we're talking about a white horse in the sense of 
a literal uh, white horse, a quadru. I don't think we're talking about that at all. And then, you know, we, we can look at that in the different uh, propositions that the term has been used. Uh, it could, that white horse could be uh, a, a great tank, army tank, or it could be uh, a flying zith, a, a spacecraft. Uh, that, to me, begins to make more sense as we get into this opening of the modern times that we are rushing into in this day in which we live. And a crown was given unto him. Now, when we think how great that this person is who is the Lamb, not the one who opened the seals, because that was the lion, but the one who went and took the book out of the hand of the person in the throne and brought it to make it available to all his followers. And there was someone, someone, that put a crown on him, that had a crown and put it on him. He didn't reach into a storage bin and pull out the crown that he already had. There was some very high art hierarchy who gave him this crown. And it seems to affect, empower him, just as the depiction of him being a lamb with seven horns, and then those seven horns are relative in the sense of the seven spirits which are sent forth into all the world, we see a connection then of the, of the crown and the horns and the seven spirits uh, that when that connection is put together and all the seven spirits and all the council are all ready to say yes, this is it, let's go, that he is able to then go forth conquering and to conquer. And that's, that's what the first seal is about. And when he opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, Come and see. And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another, and there was given unto them a great sword. Now, the horse of war, we could call it. But I think we have to understand that there are powers and principalities. And the Bible says that our war is not with flesh and blood, but with powers and principalities. There are thrones, there are, there are kingdoms, there are entities. And... There are forces that have incredible influences beyond what people can even imagine. And these incredible influences beyond what people can imagine are of the nature that they can influence a state of mind to where there are masses of people, especially in the leadership, who believe it is their duty to have war and to kill what they consider their enemy. And power was given to this red horse or to this entity, this principality, 
that is symbolized by the red horse. And power was given to him to take peace from the earth. So what that has to mean is that although there always seems to have been wars and rumors of wars and there always seems to have been uh, all the way back to Cain that potential that could come forth as an urge to kill, that didn't mean that the whole state of the environment of both physical, physiological, and mental was just a warring um, type of environment. But obviously there are different levels to where there is a greater intent of mind for war and a lesser intent of mind for peace or a greater intent of mind for peace and a lesser intent of mind for war. So obviously in this particular pro, uh, uh, example here, there was a situation in which there was more peace. And and until this red engine, this dark force, used its power that it was given to take peace from the earth. And once the peace was taken from the earth, then there was a preponderance of the idea of people to kill one another and of there to be a great sword of war. That's the second seal. Wow. And of course, we're only about in the 60-fold revelation of the meaning. We could go on to the 100-fold. We don't have time to do that in this teaching here tonight. <clears throat> And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, come and see. Now notice so far, number one seal, number two seal, number three seal, the calling is come and see. Sometimes you'll never get advanced unless a movement. And I think that that's why the tremendous things that were happening in the days of the Acts of the Apostles was called Acts. Because those people made motions. They made movements. They went forth doing things. And if you ever want to go forward in the revelations of God, in the manifestations of God, you have to come toward the truth. Come toward the revelation. Come toward the spiritual force. And then you have to open your eyes and see. And you have to want to see. And I beheld, and lo, a black horse. And he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, three measures of barley for a penny. And see, thou hurt not the oil and the wine. Now, this sounds like famine, and it sounds like a time of incredible deflation in which <clears throat> you can, there is food that becomes available, but even the price of this penny is so much for the 
condition of the times that maybe most people cannot afford it. But there is there is a black horse, and he that sat on the black horse, and, and this is important. Uh, this is important to say. In the other two examples, or the I should say the prior example, uh, there went out a red horse, and power was given to him. It sounded like power was given to the red horse, but in the first example. Uh, there was a white horse, and he that sat on him, that's who had the, had the power. And in the third seal, uh, there's a black horse, and he that sat on him had the pair of balances in his hand. So it's not really the revelation of the horse, except as how the horse symbolizes a certain charting of a representation and in that representation, the power, the person of the power is the entity that uses the engine of the, of the horse, which is a metaphor uh, for a deeper revelation. And here we find that again in the third seal. And, and he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, a measure of wheat for a penny, three measures of barley for a penny. So, here's a prediction. And we might think that that, that has to do with a famine of food. And we cannot say that on the 30-fold that it does not. But there certainly would be somewhere in the higher levels of revelation that there is a spiritual famine that it is also referring to because that makes it have much more sense when it says see that thou hurt not the oil and the wine and you just know here by the Holy Spirit that this oil and this wine is referring to special kinds of anointing special kinds of communion and and that this person who has this power to use the balances and to dibby out stuff is being limited, that he cannot affect the anointing and he cannot affect those who are in communion with God. And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. We're getting down that word. Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And his name that set on him was death, and hell followed him. And power was given to him, uh, unto them, over the fourth part of the earth, to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and with the beast of the earth. Now, this is another principality type thing. And this person... It says, rides the pale horse. And oh, how many movies and how many stories have been told about these horses of the Apocrypha. How many, how many stories that have been made dynamic and emphasize various things that really aren't even what the story is about. And power was given unto them over a fourth part of the earth. 
Now, it's interesting that based on this, his name that was on the or on the on the horse was death, and hell followed him. But his power was limited to only a fourth part of those of the earth. So, ladies and gentlemen, that would leave three-fourths that death and hell did not have a signed contract in the bag, did not have a signed contract to take death and to put people into a state of hell. And this is almost a good revelation rather than being a negative revelation. This is almost like saying, hey, there's far more people that have the will, the wits, the intelligence, and the spirit to not be taken in and destroyed by the animal nature, the beasts, that it says that this writer uses, that will not be taken with the hunger for the word, or the hunger for the commodities of life. There's three-fourths of these people who are going to overcome this or have the opportunity to overcome this. And I find that exciting. And that's why I think that sometimes we have to not just become embroiled in doomsday stuff. Because there's all kinds of possibilities here that are available. It doesn't matter if hell's out there riding. It doesn't matter if death is out there riding. Three-fourths of the people are not even under their right of power to chastise and to bring judgment upon. Three-fourths. Come on, people. Let's get into this. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, Lord, and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? Now, we need to understand this. Because if we don't understand this, this makes something out of the Bible and out of Christianity, and out of this scripture, that is just not the word of God. It's not part of the seven seals. It's not part of the word written within and without. What they are talking about here is not vengeance. What they are talking about here is not getting even. Hey, these people that that, slay, that have slain us, these people that have have come against us, we're still down here in the spirit world and we're stirred up and we're upset and we're not going to be satisfied until we see that we've had our vengeance on those people. That is not what they are saying. And in the Peace Bible, it is certainly translated in a different way, a much more beautiful way. What they are after is that they do not want their lives to have been given in vain. 
their suffering, their persecution, their prosecution. They have been done in vain. And they want the seed of the things they have done, which according to the Lord's word, he says, when you do these things, it will not be in vain. And there's, there's scripture there, because he says, you know, if they ask for one coat, give them two coats. And it's very clear how, how that Jesus says to treat these people. Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. So the beauty of this verse is not getting vengeance. And when people go out and they start teaching that from the pulpit, it's only a declaration of the sheer ignorance of, of being able to understand the Word of God. And for sure, they are not part of those that have a key to the book of life. They are not part of those that have an insight to the manifest revelation of the seven seals of the Word of God. And I don't say that to put them down. I say that to alarm them and to make them understand. We've got to look at this word and we've got to put it in perspective. Otherwise, we're going to have within this Bible a destruct that is going to have people look at this and say, that's how the Christians are. They want to get even, even in, after they die. They want to get even. They want to wreak havoc. They want to see those people suffer and go to hell. That is not what is true. That is not what the Bible says. Those people are wanting to see their work that they have done, their giving up, their sacrifices, bring forth fruit and wondering how long it will be before that fruit will be forthcoming. That is what the revelation of the fifth seal is about. And white robes were given to every one of them and it said that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. Now, when it talks about being killed, that doesn't necessarily mean hung, have your head chopped off, be electrocuted, be shot with a gun. One of the deeper meanings of this would be like the apostle that said, I die daily. And there is a dying in this Tartarou body in which we live that we have to be involved in in order to overcome the world. And it is a dying. And we are involved in this dying for other people. Dying for the sake of souls. Dying for our own salvation. A dying to the beast that lives within us. And there's others that have to finish this, this work. In the meanwhile, get your white robe on because that's a testimony and a prophecy that it is going to come to pass. And those people that you have asked God for their salvation and their, and their overcoming are going to experience it. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is what the fifth seal is about. Wow. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the, and the moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth. Now, let's get a hold of this, and let's not get nonsensical. First off, there's not one star that could fall to this earth. Stars 
are larger than this planet Earth many times over. So there's no resting place to be found here. And for there to be a situation that stars of heaven fell to the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs, the scenario there, figs are very small compared to the earth. And when they fall down on the ground, they're just like close to the tree, and they don't represent <coughs> hardly any part of the earth. These stars, it's talking about, have to have a totally different meaning. And there are many different meanings that we're going to get into that have to do with the thing about stars. Because if we don't understand that, we have a problem. We have a big problem. So we've got to, we've got to stop a little bit here and really look at this, uh, this whole revelation that has to do with the sixth seal. The sixth seal is the seal just before the seventh seal, which is the, the title of our message. Now, let's just look at this. Okay. <clears throat> Don't lose your place uh, in the sixth chapter of Revelation. And uh, we're just getting ready to, you know, get into the sixth seal, which is the twelfth verse. So, six, twelve, just hold on to that. But let's just turn to Revelations 12, 4. In Revelations 12, 4, it says, um, And his tail, it was talking about the red dragon, drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. Now here we have another case in which stars are cast to the earth. But when you read it carefully, in that 12th chapter, it becomes obvious that those are people that, are, that end up being people that are cast down to the earth. And they're the morning stars, the ophanims that become, take on human bodies. And so, when we read this uh, chapter 6, verse 13 of the sixth seal, and the stars of heaven fell into the earth, even as a fig tree, hey, that is not talking about the stars that are the luminaries up in the sky. Now, don't lose your place, but let's look at Revelations 9.1. And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. Now there is a perfect example that explains Revelations 12.4. This fifth angel sounded in the ninth chapter, first verse. The fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven to the earth, and to him is personified. The star is personified. It is a person. And he comes down, he has the key to the bottomless pit. All right? Now let's look at uh, Revelations 8, verse 10. <clears throat> and the second angel sounded. Now this is not the seals. This is the angels with the trumpets. We'll get into that perhaps later. The second angel sounded, as it were a great mountain burning with fire, cast into the sea, and... and um, uh, Let's now get to verse 10. Uh, we should have been there. And the third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp, and it fell upon a third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of water. The name of the star is called Wormwood, and the third part of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died in the waters because they were made bitter. Now, 
I can guarantee you that is not a star either. Because a star cannot fall on this earth. And the whole revelation about the wormwood that is just like this revelation in chapter 9 that it's a person. This wormwood that comes down and, and has the power to poison the waters, make them bitter, the waters here represent the people. In the 17th chapter of Revelations, the angel interprets the word waters to mean people, nations, tongues, people, kindred. So here we have this wormwood entity that's going to come down and is going to do this tremendous uh, poisoning in the minds of people. This is, this is a mind war that is talking about happening. This is an intense mind war that's going to happen of principalities of darkness, sons of darkness, a progeny of darkness, warring against sons and progeny of light. And, and there's much that can be taught on that. I'm just sort of maybe just this side of the 60-fold on it. But it's much deeper and much, much more that can be told about that, but not in this particular setting because we have too, many, too much ground to cover. But we begin to get the understanding here of this thing about the meaning of these words. If we don't get that understanding, we're going to be telling people that stars are going to fall down here to the earth and you're going to have people that have knowledge that know better than that, that know that can't happen, and they're going to then be made to not believe the Bible because of how you have given an uncertain sound. And the Bible says if you give an uncertain sound, who would there be that would prepare themselves for battle? Because they don't know what it is that, that you're trying to say. And so it's so important to know what we are saying. It's so important to know how that we say it. It's so important to be into the book because that book belongs to us from before the foundations of the world. And the Bible says that in the book of Corinthians. We don't have time right now, but we will eventually get into that. <clears throat> and so, let's look at a, another case. Let's look at uh, Revelations 6.13. 6.13 talks about, um, And the stars of heaven fell into the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs, when she is shaken of the wind. And it seems like that's one I read. Yeah. Okay. And then there is um, Daniel 8.10. And let's just show you how that this is a Bible thing. Old and New Testament. It's a Bible thing, ladies and gentlemen. And the Bible uses all these different types of parables, all these different kinds of, of symbols and metaphors. And, and, and here's what it says in uh, Daniel 8, 8, 10. Okay. And it's talking about this great goat. And, of course, this goat represents, like, a nation and a person. And it waxed great even to the host of heaven. And it cast down some of the host and of the stars to the ground and stamped upon them. Now, believe me, this is talking about a time in the future. This isn't just the interpretation that people have where they get into some applications of Alexander the Great and some of these various kinds of the, of the, of the generals that took over. Uh, that whole metaphor uh, is, has three levels to it. And people just read one level and they think they've got the whole story. 
<clears throat> but obviously, uh, they do not pull down hosts of heaven and cast them down to the ground and stamp on them. <clears throat> this is talking about a future day. And this, this is, oh, is there ever a story here? Is that ever an incredible story? All right, hang on there. <clears throat> okay, so let's um, keep that in mind. That was Daniel 8.10. Okay, now we're back in chapter 6 of Revelation. And uh, we're reading verse 12, the sixth seal. And um, uh, we're reading about a great earthquake. Of course, there's just been that terrible great earthquake in uh, Haiti. That's a very sad thing. And the sun became black as sackcloth of hair. And the moon. <coughs> sure, this could be a nuclear winter uh, where the, the earth sky is so filled with debris that you cannot see the sun. And it could be interpreted that way. But I don't think that that is what it's talking about. I think that it's um, uh, quite a bit deeper than that. I think it's talking about a time when um, uh, when the, when these forces of darkness are going to uh, uh, have such power that they're going to be able to blank out the spiritual visualization of the manifest and of the Bible revelation and of the book of the seven seals revelation to people and and it's, it's going to be just as if there was no sun there was no light there was no revelation people will not be able to see it because they'll just be so darkened with those ideas and I think uh, that uh, uh, when it says, And the heaven departed as a scroll, when it rolled together, and every mountain and island was moved out of their places. Uh, believe me, ladies and gentlemen, if that literally happens on the earth, the planet will not be inhabitable uh, from that time on. So we're not talking about what it seems to be talking about. The stars of heaven are not falling to the earth. That does that. There is not enough room on the earth for one star. Uh, this thing about... Um, about the mountains and islands, every one of them moving other places, that is not what it's talking about. Uh, and what is it talking about? It explains it in the next verse. 15, And the kings of the earth, and, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, <coughs> and every bondman, and every free man, hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains. So when it's talking about these mountains and these islands being moved, it's talking about there's going to be such a shaking of the orders of governments and of kingdoms that, that, uh, that it's going to be like the prophet prophesied. No one's going to want to be a leader. No one's going to want to be a prophet. No one's going to want to be head uh, of the government. Uh, and and, and they're, they're going to flee to the dens and the rocks uh, of the earth below and underneath the mountains. Uh, places are going to hide. And, and that's what it's talking about when it says the mountains, because these kings are considered principles, and they're like mountains, and they're like islands, dynasties and islands. And it's explaining it. Uh, that's the, the moving of those, 
and its symbols to whom it refers. <clears throat> and they say to the mountains and the rocks, as this is after they go and hide into them, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the day of the wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? And there is an incredible interpretation that needs to be uh, given to that. Uh, but let me uh, let that sort of simulate because uh, we can't finish this teaching uh, during this session. There'll have to be maybe one or two more sessions before we can even begin to get into the message of the seventh seal and into the revelation of the mantis and and uh, and how that their names are actually uh, in the Bible uh, under the lost language of Akka, which has still parts of of the lost revelation uh, is still in fragments within some of those words that are still in the Bible. And uh, we'll get into some of those, uh, Lord willing, when we get into the next session uh, and be able to describe the mantis people and and uh, all these things that are futuristic that are going to happen. <coughs> now, um, chapter 7. After these things I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the winds should not blow on the earth, nor the sea, nor any tree. Uh, there's something beautiful about that. It's that there are, are regulations that are put on the angels and on the forces uh, and principalities uh, that protect the earth, that protect the people of the earth uh, from being destroyed by the winds and rages of war and and rages of of uh, uh, perturbations that could come upon uh, the earth uh, i i'm sure that sometimes uh, asteroids are deflected by the powers of god from striking the earth and there's things like that that uh, we just don't know about that we need to be thankful to god, to god for and i saw another angel ascending from the east having the seal of the living god and he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given uh, to hurt the earth and the sea. Now, it, they had this envelope of mission content. And uh, uh, their idea was to go out there and wreak havoc. Um, we're not saying those are good angels. We're not saying they're bad angels because that will be part of the story when I develop it maybe next week. But we're saying that they are controlled. And this angel that comes down, another angel, from the east, the resurrection direction, has the seal. You see, when those seven seals are open, and you come into that revelation, you end up coming into that by the Holy Ghost, and you become sealed into that knowledge. And... This particular angel sealed into that knowledge by the living God. And he's also hollering and crying with a loud voice to the for angels. And he says, Don't hurt the earth, neither the sea, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And I heard the number of them which were sealed, 
and they were sealed a hundred and forty and four thousand of all the tribes of the children of Israel. Now this hundred and forty four thousand of the tribes of the children of Israel is not talking about a hundred and forty four thousand of literal Israel tribe people. First off, there's not even twelve tribes any longer that are represented. Second off, when you read this list and it says verse five of the tribe of Judah were sealed twelve thousand, Reuben twelve thousand, Gad twelve thousand, Asher twelve thousand, Nephthalim twelve thousand, Manasseh twelve thousand, uh, uh, Simeon twelve thousand, Levi twelve thousand, Issachar twelve thousand, uh, Zebulun twelve thousand, Joseph twelve thousand, Benjamin twelve thousand. You know, statistic-wise and any otherwise, it doesn't happen like that. That just that exact amount of people ends up being a part of of of, of, of this corporate body. And absolutely not. But what we are talking about here is a terrific, in, in, invisible at first revelation, uh, and and it's talking about uh, it's talking about. You know, the, the, the servants of the destinata, the servants of, of those who are going to, to overcome, and, and, uh, and there, there's a mathematic a composition to it, because it's 12,000 times 12,000 that gives you the 144,000. And uh, next week we'll get into that, but we will see that that has to do with the measurements of the city of Jerusalem. And I'll show you how that that applies, uh, just so if you want to be looking it up in the meanwhile, you can find that in the 21st chapter of Revelation. And you can find where uh, in the 17th verse, and he measured the wall thereof, 140 and 4 cubits. And, and this is the measure of a man that is of the angel. That's Revelation 21, verse 17. So this 144 cubits uh, translates to the 144,000. And it's the measure of man, of an angel, because we are the fallen angels. And it is a proof that what it's really talking about is the people who represent New Jerusalem. And these people that are going to represent New Jerusalem, this 144,000, that is a configurative uh, uh, math composition of, of measurement that has to do with the... Uh, measurement of the city, uh, uh, especially of the wall, because the walls uh, are also what the foundations uh, sit on. So the foundations are all underneath the walls, and 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 that whole revelation there is quite beautiful. And I'm telling you more than I intended to uh, tonight, but it is quite beautiful. And 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 then John says that this city was the bride that was coming down from heaven. Uh, to marry Christ. And we know that the bride is the people of God that overcome, that that come into that born-again uh, from above experience and all of those kind of things. So that is a tremendous revelation. It's all part of the opening of these seals. And we've just scratched the surface of these things. But they're deep and they're beautiful. And, uh, and, and soon uh, we'll get into more of of what the message is about. Uh, we'll continue this next week, the seventh seal. And uh, uh, Lord willing, 
uh, we will probably get into finishing up this thing about the city of God, the holy new Jerusalem, uh, the mother of us all, and uh, not just uh, the Jews, but uh, who are the Jews? That's, that's us, because in Christ is neither Jew, Greek, or Gentile. Uh, we are all made one in God. And so this revelation, this beautiful revelation, is uh, what God is doing as he's opening up uh, this, this wonderful, wonderful thing of, um, of allowing us to come into uh, the insight of the, of the seals. And not only to come through them and all the revelation they represent, <coughs> but to come into uh, the revelation of what is written on the outside of the book and what is written on the inside of the book, the threefold, the thirty, sixty, hundredfold revelation. Okay, so now we're going to, to take the time uh, for the Gentile session. And uh, we thank you for being here listening uh, to this word. We uh, certainly appreciate you coming. Uh, there is so much to say. And I can only, in these short times that I have, uh, even though I take uh, you know, quite a little bit of time to get into this revelation, I can only, I can only cover so much time uh, on the subject because, believe me, uh, it's a, a plentum and uh, we can, we can uh, only cover so much, uh, even if we'd have to talk for hours and hours and hours and hours for days and weeks and months. And uh, like you know, people I've been teaching some for years. So, okay, here we go now. Jin Tao, generative touch. Um, understand, I am not a doctor of medicine. Understand, I have nothing against that I have to say against doctors, nurses, hospital, health clinics. Uh, I have nothing to say against <clears throat> medicines uh, because I'm not a pharmacist. I don't know which of those medicines are good, which ones are not good. Uh, I do know that many people have been helped by medicine, and uh, I'm not going to knock it. If they, we didn't have the medicine uh, in this day and age, there'd be a lot of people suffer and die in awful ways. I thank God for what we do have from the doctors. But what this revelation of Gentile is about is a revelation in which God has made us, has said that we are beautifully made, and that he has uh, written within our bodies and our minds uh, the capability to heal ourselves. And that is a God-given thing. And it's, it doesn't require faith for it. It's already in us. It just requires action. We have to loosen this action within our body. And uh, so by Gentile, what I do is I send uh, uh, messages through the neurotransmitters of your mind to your hormones and to the various organs uh, and get them to, uh, to um, uh, loosen their, their uh, various conditions. Perhaps there are enzymes that are not uh, able to work in your body because there's inhibitors. Uh, perhaps there are um, uh, other kinds of, uh, of blind spots and mental spots that are stopping the flow of hormone transmission uh, that have skewed the shape and the color of the transmission so that as a hormone key, they do not fit the receptors. 
and and what we are after is to send signals into uh, the body through the brain, uh, through the uh, various organs like the uh, pituitary and the hypothalamus and the thyroid, uh, and to then have the body send that message into uh, the various problematical areas of the body uh, and begin to uh, give orders for uh, corrections to take place so that your body can function, function as it was intended to function going all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Okay? So, uh, tonight, uh, I want to work um, on people that <clears throat> have um, nervous conditions. They're just, they, they, they fight their nerves. They, they, they find themselves, <coughs> excuse me, very nervous and um, and afraid and I want to I want to uh, do this Gentile for those people okay here we go hypothalamus to the pituitary pituitary to hypothalamus to the medulla uh, through the medulla to the pons to the midbrain to the thalamus to the to the cerebrum to the to the cerebellum uh, to the corpus callosum down through all the hemispheres uh, begin to send messages uh, into the body uh, to release whatever particular kind of, um, of energies and uh, nutrients, whatever particular kind of um, hormones or a particular kind of uh, substance that needs to be loosened uh, to deal uh, with those people that are being um, problemed uh, with uh, nerves. And uh, these nerves uh, are causing a multitude of problems in the body that are not recognized as nerves, uh, but are actually uh, n n nerves and, and uh, that need uh, to be uh, uh, changed from having the inhibitors that are blocking them. Uh, <coughs> hypothalamus to the tutary, tutary, hypothalamus to the thyroid, to the lymphatic gland, to the parasympathetic, sympathetic neurotransmission system. Begin to send messages into the solar plexus um, to release uh, any uh, inhibitors, uh, to release any blockers, uh, to eradicate them uh, that have been blocking or inhibiting uh, the the uh, messages. Uh, this we want sent to the neuromuscular systems, the neuroglandular system junctions, uh, the synaphases. Uh, uh, through we want this into the spinal cord uh, to whatever parts of the body uh, that need excitation and uh, we want to uh, to uh, open up wherever necessary uh, areas of the uh, stantia nigra uh, uh, that is uh, sometimes uh, deep into inhibition uh, and, and especially as involved in emotional responses, we want to uh, deal with um, uh, balancing uh, this whole process uh, uh, through the neuropeptides uh, so that the uh, impulses of these energies can operate, begin to operate these energies uh, as they are supposed to be operated. 
begin to send endorphins um, into the areas uh, that have pain, uh, begin to send the endorphins uh, to engender, engender the memory areas uh, so that there is an arousal of memory, uh, <clears throat> begin to send uh, uh, the messages of the hypothalamus and the pituitary uh, as a unit uh, to deal with handling when uh, the var various uh, sensory perceptions should be opened or closed, uh, if there's any inhibitors, if there's any blockers, if there's any messages anti to this word, they are canceled right now. Uh, begin to deal with uh, many, many people that are hearing this message or will hear this message. Begin to loosen within them this, this message so that they may be freed with the uh, problems of nerves uh, that are causing everything from depression to various pain in the body. Uh, loose them and set them free. All right. God bless you, folks. Thank you for being here. Thank you for taking this time. Be sure you get on and see the new uh, the new um, blog that is on called Star Time. Uh, it's a sensationally interesting blog. Um, also, there is a new post that is on um, the messages uh, that that are listed in the Star um, uh, Rise community. So, God bless. Until another time, Amen. You broadcast.